Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 21 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast, featuring legendary ring announcer from the WWF, AWA, NWA, WCW, and recently featured on AEW, this is the world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta! My guest this afternoon... From all the way in America is none other than ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta. How's it going? Well, it's great, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're one of the ring announcers I remember when I was uh, when I was a lot younger as a as a kid when we got uh, WCW Worldwide in uh, the UK on ITV back in the nineties. That's when I first started seeing you on the TV back in the UK. Yeah, I used to enjoy coming. Uh... When did you begin watching wrestling? That's my first question. Oh, I was um, four, about 11 years old, and it was late at night, and I couldn't sleep, and I started um, just uh, spinning the, the channels, and I came across pro wrestling. I didn't know what it was. To tell you the truth, I thought it was a little obscene. <laughs> um, you know, because you had a, a darkened arena with people that looked like normal people, but they were shouting at these scantily clad, sweating men. And it was like, I, and I thought, I don't think I'm supposed to be watching this. And um, I mean, that was how I first came to, uh, to find what it was. And then, you know, curiosity got to me. And um, Bruno San Martino was the champion. Now, this was the WWF. It was Vince McMahon's father who was the promoter. And, um, yeah, that's, so I was, I was about 11 years old. Which regions did you follow then? Obviously, you're, you're from New Jersey, aren't you? Yeah, the only region I, I mean, the only wrestling I had exposure to was WWF. Uh, we didn't receive anything else on television. So that was it. 
Aside from, obviously, Bruno, uh, which wrestlers stood out for you when you were watching it as a kid? Um, there were, uh, I like the tag teams. I like uh, the Graham brothers, Jerry Graham and Eddie Graham. Uh, there was a team of the Mortiers, Max and Hans Mortier. The Kentuckians. Now, one of the Kentuckians who I, when I was with WCW, I worked with because he was uh, behind the scenes as an agent, he's Jake the Snake Robert's father. He was one of the Kentuckians. Um, and I, I, I like the managers, too. Um, we had uh, Bobby Davis and Wild Red Berry. Um, you know, just, just classic, classic characters. When did your association with wrestling begin then? When did you actually first set foot in the business yourself? Um, quite by accident. Um, I was sitting at ringside. Um, I was a, just had graduated or was about to graduate from college. So I was 21 years old. And they didn't have an announcer. And I volunteered. And um, at the end of the night, they told me, put a suit on and come back next week. And that was how it started. Now, obviously, I've, I've been looking at your biographies online. I, I wasn't aware that you were in WWF prior to doing uh, WCW. Yes. Um, prior to WCW, um, the first 11 years of my announcing career, I worked for the McMahon family when it was uh, territory right about up to WrestleMania 1. And then on ESPN, the Sports Network, um, they began the first ever pro wrestling weekly television show, and that was the AWA with Vern Gagne. So I left the uh, WWF, I went to the AWA, and I announced their show every week from Atlantic City, from a casino in Atlantic City. And then um, from there... Uh, when McMahon started going across to other territories, Jim Crockett of the NWA and Vern Gagne teamed together and they formed a promotion called Pro Wrestling USA and they came into the Northeast. They came to, to our part of the country and it was the first time there was any kind of a serious challenge in the McMahons. Um, they, honestly, they didn't get too far. But that's how I began my association with the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions. So um, I started working with them. I started, they asked me to come in. I was working the NWA pay-per-views as well as the AWA pay-per-views. So when WCW in 1989 was established, I was in the right place. And um, that's how I got my first contract. With, uh, with the Turner organization. Uh, aside from ring announcing, obviously for WCW, did you have any other roles within the company? Um, yes, I was the, um, I'm bilingual. I also speak Spanish. So I was the Spanish commentator for any programming in the United States that required Spanish commentary. Um, for a little while, I also produced some of the vignettes, the backstage vignettes, um, and, I, and I enjoyed doing that. It was it was a lot more creative than my main role. 
But, um, yeah, so I had other opportunities. Um, and, and at the end of my term with WCW, I could have continued because I was offered to stay, continue to do what I was doing with announcing, and also work in the office. But I didn't want to move, and I didn't want to work in the office. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. And we parted ways. Who, who did you enjoy working with in WCW, Gary? Um, you know, there, I, I did not enjoy working with anyone. It was, I enjoyed everybody. I didn't have, you know, I kept um, a very professional distance. I didn't go out and do a whole lot of partying after shows. Uh, most of the time, every t- everybody that I saw, I saw at the venues. So when you do that, it allows you to separate your professional side from your personal side, and it eliminates a lot of um, yeah, unnecessary animosity. So I kept pretty much to myself. So professionally, I had no problem with anybody. Um, in fact, over the 40 years that I've worked in the sport, I've enjoyed a really good relationship with the wrestlers, mostly with promoters. There are a couple of jerks out there that I stood up to, and always with the fans. I mean, I've always had a, a very good relationship overall. It was a different business back then from what I've heard from guys who, who were in around the same time as you and, and how how it is now. It was a lot different, wasn't it? Well, it was. Um, when I was with WCW, it was before Nitro started. It was before the NWO. So it was before they exploded and were really a challenge to McMahon. Um, so, you know, we, we always struggled as the second promotion. I didn't, I didn't enjoy those glory years um, because I left in May of 95 and Nitro started in September of To go, I think that's a good good way to talk about um, the book. How did the book come about then? Well, um, by that time, I had been working constantly in the sport for 21 years. For the entire 21 years, I was on somebody's weekly television show. So I was very fortunate and I was very blessed. Um, and... When I was working with WCW, I was on the road for um, approximately 20 nights a month. And it's very difficult to return to normalcy. It's very difficult to come, you know, to come home and for that all to go away. So it was more of a therapeutic exercise that I started to, to just jot down some memories. And I just kept on writing and writing and it. Um, I didn't have any um, any purpose when I was with when I was active with WCW, but as it turned out, I just kept writing it, and it turned into my book Body Slams. When did it go to print? Obviously, you said you started in 1995 with it. When did the book uh, go into print? Uh, the first edition came out in October of 2000. I took two years. 
And all I did was write. I, I did not announce. Um, I was also um, a teacher for part of my adult life. So I, I was not teaching. I sat home and every day I either wrote or I edited. And I, I really loved the process. I really enjoyed doing it. So the, the first edition came out in the year 2000. And it was very successful. It was so successful that ECW Press, a Canadian publisher, um, approached me and they put out the second edition in, I think it was 2005. And for that edition, I added, um, oh, I added about a third more to the book. I added uh, quite a bit more to, to bring us up to date. So, um, because in the meantime, I had worked with Ring of Honor as their backstage interviewer. I did that after WCW. Um, and, you know, I, I was, went to conventions and I was on the road. I had created a stage show back then. So there was more to, um, to include after the first publishing. And that's, that's what's in the um, edition that ECW publishes and they still do to this day i literally had a look a few days ago for the book i'm gonna i'm gonna get myself a copy definitely nice i i will i will definitely purchase it i'm gonna get time to read with the things that are going on at the moment so there's plenty of time to read i'll uh, definitely get my head in in the book um how how was your time in ring of honor that was going to be my next question obviously you've spoken about ring of honor briefly how how was your time there well, at the time, Ring of Honor was more of an independent promotion, um, and it was locally based. It was based in Philadelphia, and I, I live about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes from Philadelphia. And through the years, um, up to today, um, I, I enjoy from time to time going out to see independent shows. I think it's very important for all of us no matter where you live, to get out and support indie wrestling um, because that's where the stars of tomorrow are born. And, and if you care for the future of pro wrestling, you'll support these young, up-and-coming wrestlers. So I went to Philadelphia, I bought a ticket, went in, I was blown away by the product. And... Um, I had not seen anything so, um, I'd say athletic. It, it, you know, it was more or less uh, the precursor to the style of today with um, younger, lighter wrestlers that are a bit more fit than the wrestlers of yesteryear. Um, so I called the promoter um, Gabe Sapowski, and I complimented him on the product, and I said, I'd like to support your product. If there's you know, any way that I can help, please let me know. And it doesn't have to be in front of the camera. I'll do anything to, um, to contribute. So he said, let me think about it. He got back to me in a few weeks and said, oh, I, I also said to him, there's only one thing that I do not want to do. I don't want to be the ring announcer. So, um, because I just wanted to um, expand what I was doing, 
Um, I had you know, done ring announcing for more than uh, two decades, so I just wanted to do something different. He, he got back to me a few weeks later, and he said, how about backstage interviewing? And at the time, it, it wasn't a television show, but it was for their DVD collection. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and I had a great time. When you look at who was on the roster, it is truly amazing. Um, for the years that I was there, when I was doing the backstage interviewing, I was interviewing AJ Styles, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, who was Bryan Danielson back then, Claudio Castagnaglio, who, who's uh, Cesaro today. All of these, these, these people... Um, on that roster, it was it was absolutely amazing. There were even a couple of AEW guys that were on that roster. Uh, Christopher Daniels. So um, you can see how talented a uh, locker room that was. It was uh, obviously from a fan's perspective. It was. Uh, Amazing at the time that the guys that were passing through and and like where they've all where they've all gone to where it led them to. Um, Gary, how were you approached um, for the video game Showdown Legends of Wrestling? That's my next question. Um, honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember um, how I was brought into that. Um, all of that announcing was done over two weekends. So, uh, three or four days. Um, I enjoyed doing it, but it was a little problematic because, you know, I have a very, like, booming announcing voice. It's out there. And it's not the style of announcing that's tailored for 12 hours of pounding out announcements. So, I mean, there were times when I lost my voice, um, but we got through it, and, and it was a... It was it was enjoyable. I had a good time doing it. Do you get to see much of the modern product on television? Um, are you asking if I if I continue to follow the product? Yeah, yeah. Watch, yeah, watching. Obviously, I get a lot of guys on, and they some guys say they just don't get a chance to watch it because they're like immersed in the business. But yeah, just like currently, do you get to see much? I do. I do. I watch. Um, I watch some WWE. I watch AEW. I, I mean, those are the programs that I get on my cable TV system. Um, I was watching uh, Real Honor for, uh, for a bit. Um, they're not on the local channels where I live, so I can't keep, you know, keep in touch with them. Um, yeah, I do. You know, I, they're, they're very different products. I think it's, it's a dream to be a wrestling fan today because you have so many alternatives, you know, between AEW and WWE and Impact and Ring of Honor and MLW and New Japan and, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And um, there's definitely something out there for you to latch on to, for you to enjoy. Um, if not, then, uh, then I don't know how you could be a wrestling fan and not find something that you enjoy. Uh, my next question will be, which uh, which talents uh, come across well to you on, on the shows, like currently? Today, I, um, I really enjoy watching Chris Jericho. I 
wa- I enjoy watching him because I can, I can just, you know, by looking at, at what he's doing, that he's having the time of his life. I mean, and that is confirmed when I spoke with him um, at the AEW TV where I did the weigh-ins for his title bout. Um, you know, I said to him, I said, Chris, I said, uh, I, I can just, just by watching it, I, I can see that, like, you've been reborn. And Chris Jericho is, is he's a very intelligent, he's, a, he's very, um, he's very astute, and he's, um, he knows exactly what he's doing at all times when it comes to performing. There's nothing that gets by him. And he's not just for Chris Jericho, he's for the entire product. He's, he, if everybody can get over, then that's what Chris's goal is. Um, but you know, when you look at how scripted he was in his prior promotion, and now how he's free to express himself, um, you know, of course he hits his marks. He has you know certain things that that have to be covered. But um, he he would be one person in particular that I enjoy watching right now. It's just how we like updates his character, change it, you know, changes little things. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing the longevity he's had in the business. Absolutely. And, and you know, until um, we got together at AEW a few weeks ago, I had never met him um, because, as I said earlier, I left WCW before Nitro began, and he was brought into WCW once Nitro started. So, um, obviously, we knew each other's work, but we had never met before. Um, and I had a lot of fun with that segment. I did. I did see you on AEW. Yeah, I, I was. I was obviously going to say a bit later on, but yeah, it was. It was cool. And, and I'm that. I'm that. Um, that weird little man. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, Chris Jericho would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. <laughs> oh, who? Who else? Who else are you liking, Gary? In the, in the, yeah, not necessarily AEW, you could, other promotions? Um, well, you know, what, like, whenever I watch the, the guys who um, I worked with in Ring of Honor that I mentioned before, you know, that's always, uh, that's always fun to do because I've seen the progression and I've seen them grow um, over the years. Um, you know, that's, that's just uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun. Drew Gulak who's now working uh, alongside of Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I saw him at an independent wrestling show. It had to be, it had to be within the last year, I'm guessing. And, um, and I really appreciate his work. When, the match that I saw, he was wrestling um, a fellow that's now with Ring of Honor, um, Tracy. Tracy, it will come to me. Um, Tracy Williams? And, yes, Tracy Williams. And, and what a, uh, a wrestling, grappling match that was. It was it was so fine. And it was also, I'm not going to overstate by saying it was thrilling when I saw what the reaction was of the fans. You know, I, I think one problem that exists in, um, in the sport today is two 
reaction from the crowd every 45 seconds, they think that they're not entertaining the crowd. And they would be wrong to think that if they know what they're doing. And I think that's why you see strike after strike after strike and then a dive and then a chop and then a strike. We don't see holes worked as much. That's um, because they're looking for an immediate reaction. Um, when I saw that match uh, with Tracy Williams and Drew Gulag, and the people, they may not have been as loud, but they were following every step of every hole, and they were understanding the story that was being told. They just weren't shouting about it. They were being entertained. So um, I think impatience is a problem, and it also accounts for a lack of selling, because once again, when that happens, the the crowd ordinarily, you know, is is not is not rousing. So I, I think everybody just needs to um, slow down a little bit. And you know what? It's it's. I don't know whether you remember the AEW Dynamite show that took place on the Chris Jericho cruise. Yes, uh, yeah, I saw it, Gary. And if you go back and watch that show, or maybe you noticed at the time, there was not a lot of room outside of the ring, between the ring and the fans. Yeah. So that forced the wrestlers to stay in the ring more. And those wrestlers did a really fine job of actually grappling, of actually wrestling. I mean, it showed me that they have the knowledge, they, they just choose not to um, use it as much. And once again, I'll go back to the impatience, because I, I just think that um, it's um, unfortunate that, it's, that in too much of today's wrestling, a crowd's loud reaction equals success. And that can be true, but it's not the only way to entertain the crowd. And, I, and you know, as, as weeks have gone by, and I watch NXT, and I watch AEW, I have seen a change. Things have slowed down, and as long as the crowds continue to respond as they have, then I, then I think there'll be a comfort zone with the new age of wrestlers to slow it down a little bit and understand that you are entertaining the fans even when you're not getting an immediate reaction. Absolutely. Not that I've ever trained in wrestling. <laughs> we just didn't um we didn't have the schools when I was a kid. Now that the schools there's a lot of schools uh, locally where you can train, so they're lucky they're lucky where we are. Uh, these young guys that want to get into it, they've got a lot of options where they can uh, train, you know? Yeah, you also have to be careful as to where you go to train and who the trainers are, um, because there may, I mean, there may be a wrestling school, but it doesn't mean um, that it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good alternative for you. And it, you have to, just like if you were to buy a, if you, if you were to buy a bike or you were to buy a car, you have to shop around. Yeah, I get you. I get you on that. Uh, Gary, in NXT, obviously, because you've stated a bit about NXT there, who who in NXT um, do you like to watch? Um, 
anything of our UK guys uh, tag team uh, by the name of the Grizzled Young Veterans have you come across them Obviously, they're in Florida now quite a bit. They've had um, they've had quite a bit of exposure on NXT in the tag division. They're in the Dusty Classic this year as well. But they've got oh Zach Gibson's been a mainstay over here for many many years. Everyone said he was gonna you know get to WWE and he, he has with uh, James Drake. I think they'll pull the trigger on them at some point. They'll get the tag belts in NXT. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, there was. I don't know if it's still there. I think you are right. Yeah, down in London, yeah. Wembley Stadium, Wembley Arena. Uh, 
I do. I know where you. I know where you're going with this. And um, he was uh, very young. I don't. I don't know if he was out of his teens yet, to tell you the truth. And um, I remember speaking to him. He was very polite. He told me that he had traveled through Europe. I think the word he used was he was a journeyman and that he was learning all different styles of pro wrestling. And um, the match that, uh, his match against Giant Haystacks was what we call a David and Goliath match. So he knew his role perfectly, and that's how he was discovered before he came to the United States with WCW to become Lord Stephen Regal. And I... You know, after 20-some years, I hadn't seen him. And I did see him back in December. There was a, uh, a special wrestling event to celebrate the career of beautiful Bobby Eaton of the Midnight Express. Yeah. And Regal came out to, uh, to pay his respects. And I flew in for that also. And uh, so I, it was wonderful to see him after... So many years, and you know, when you've been in an industry and a sport for 46 years, as I have, it's just to watch how people grow and mature as performers is uh, it's thrilling. He was amazing, he was amazing, and it's the guys that, especially the guys in WWE, the likes of uh, Danielson, who, who respect what he's done. I know a lot of the Americans look to, to Regal, don't they, for, for the style. Yes, yes. Um, well, you know, before he... Um, in, in my book, Body Slams, and um, it's, this is probably a saying that you've heard before, and that is, you know, some perhaps other indie wrestlers in the UK would say at the time um, that, you know, that Steve was... He was lucky. But lucky is no more than be prepared when the opportunity presents itself. And even as a youngster, he was prepared. I mean, there was, and, and it, it didn't just come to him. He moved his butt and he went out and he was aggressive in getting booked in Germany and throughout the UK. And he made it happen for himself. Now, that's not to say that you can guarantee the opportunity will happen. But for him... And then the way he presented himself, and to this day he's such a, a gentleman, um, that all, I mean, that's all, those are all ingredients in the recipe that you need, you know, that you, you need to be talented, you need to have a certain charisma, you need to have a certain business sense, you need to be uh, like a decent person, like, as I say, he's a gentleman, um, you know how to treat people. Um, he had all of the ingredients. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was wonderful to see him just, just this past December. It's very, very, uh, not, not, so, not so long ago, Gary. Yeah, I know. And, I, and the best part about it is I didn't know he was going to be there. So it was, it was a bit of a surprise. Now, obviously, I've done a bit of uh, researching for, for the episode, and I read that you teach Spanish just to come away from the wrestling, just to close... Yes, for for the first, um, well, for all of the for all of the years that I announced 
for the McMahons, I was also teaching school. Uh, remember, it was a territory, so there was no, there were no long distances to travel. Um, I was able very often to announce at night, and I was back in the classroom in the morning. Um, and you know, that was also before pay-per-views, so you know, we didn't have these periodic special events all over the world. It was, it was just a very, you know, local promotion, a northeastern promotion that covered oh, about 13 states. And then I also was teaching when I worked with the NWA and the NWA. I taught for 15 years until I signed my contract with WCW in 1989, which, you know, when I did that, and then I started traveling the world, obviously I, I needed to, um, I first took a leave of absence, and then I just never returned. I loved teaching, and I, you know, and I loved announcing. Um, people, I would go in and out of each, and people would say, um, when I was teaching, they would say, Gary, do you miss announcing? And I would say, yeah. Um, I, I love announcing, but I don't really miss it. I enjoy what I'm doing right now. And when I was announcing, it was the same thing. I enjoy what I'm doing now, but I love teaching too. So I was just very fortunate to do two very different things in one way. In another way, they're not that different in that you're communicating to a group of people. Um, but I, I found two things that I love doing, um, and that worked for me. I think, you know, a person finding one thing they like to do in life is quite an achievement, but for you to do two things you like, that's, uh, that's very commendable. And it's, it's true that, you know, it's not like, it, it's not like working. You know, you, didn't, you don't feel like, you know, you're under like a certain kind of a pressure. And, you know, and of course that has to do with um, you being prepared and being able to carry out the, the tasks and the job. And also that you have decent co-workers and the understanding um, boss. Now the understanding boss part I always had in teaching, but not so much in wrestling. But I, I dealt with it. Gary, um, I just obviously I know you're on Facebook. Would you like to plug your social media for the listeners, please? Sure. Um, folks can find me on Facebook at my initials GMC, the number four, real. GMC for real. And there's, uh, if you go on, on my page, on the left side, click fan subscription. When you do that, and if you join, um, I'll give you extra analysis that's not on the regular page. For instance, I did three video chats with the subscribers a couple of weeks ago to give them the behind the scenes as to what happened when I went to AEW. So I'm able to do that kind of thing for the subscribers. I'm also on Twitter at Gary Capetta and also Instagram at Gary Capetta. So wherever you hang out online, Please uh, stop by and, and, and join me. Gary Michael Capetta, GMC, thank you very much for sparing time to come on Stu's Wrestling Podcast today. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.